BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we recap some of the biggest songs and musical moments of 2021, like Lil Nas X making clear he was no one-hit wonder, Jasmine Sullivan and Adele returning with vulnerable, searing albums after years without releasing music, and Wizkid and Tem's infectious Afropop song Essence getting a second life at parties and cookouts. Songs and live shows were a key source of solace, strength, and entertainment as we continued to navigate the pandemic in 2021, share your favorites next on Forum. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. That's Jasmine Sullivan's song, Pick Up Your Feelings, off her album, Hotels, also NPR's album of the year. And that's what we're doing today, talking about the artists, the albums, the songs that brought some of the best musical moments of 2021. A year that started with assaults on democracy and communities, offered some signs of vaccine-induced normalcy, and now goes out contending with Omicron. So... What was the song or album that made your 2021? We'd love to hear from you and let me tell you who is joining us. Sydney Madden is host and reporter at NPR Music. Sydney, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Mina. Also, Susie Exposito is with us, music reporter for the Los Angeles Times. Hi, Susie. Hello. Charlie Harding is here, co-host and co-author of Switched on Pop, a podcast and book, also a songwriter. Charlie Harding, glad to have you on as well. Thanks for having me. All right, Sydney, I'm going to start with you because I mentioned Jasmine Sullivan's Hotels was NPR's pick for album of the year. Talk about why this album earned it for you. Yeah, it was definitely NPR Music's number one album of the year. And this album, this project from Jasmine dropped in January. And I don't know if I'm spilling too much trader secrets or spilling too much tea or anything, but this was a top contender all year long for us, especially in the subsets of our music team. It's from the longstanding force in R&B, Jasmine Sullivan, who is already known to be a seasoned songwriter. Like her pen game has been cemented. I will refer to hits like Bust Your Windows, Lions, Tigers and Bears, Need You Bad. But what makes this album so specific and what I argue to be her magnum opus is that it really pinpoints the community that raised her. And it's it's an homage to all the women in her life that made Jasmine, Jasmine. It's eight songs interwoven with six spoken word interludes by her best friends, her family members, her closest collaborators. 
vivid, it's ruthless, and it catalogs that type of unhinged, unflinching honesty that you can only really have in safe spaces with your girls, right? It's, it's these stories of women that are sharing the deeper meaning behind the stereotypes that get thrown at them. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. about gold digger, angry black woman, those types of things. And it's a space for the hard truths to be spoken honestly and in a way that you normally wouldn't even say to yourself. Yeah. Uh, and it's I, I love the intro you gave to this entire year, this whole, <laughs> you know, pseudo hellscape that we're living through, because to me, what makes this album so special on a personal level is that creating community has always been a benchmark of what Black women do in America in history, right? We've swayed presidential elections. We've created new waves in music. Uh, but at the same time, we're codified and and uh, flattened to not matter in courtrooms, in hospitals, in classrooms. So I think Hotels is really just uh, an encapsulation in the time capsule of Jasmine's crew of women to that remind her that she matters. Yeah, I love that part of your write-up when you were talking about creating community and honoring that community and reminding um, Jasmine's community of of people that give her so much strength um, that that they matter. Um, there was, like Jasmine, another artist, another powerhouse singer who returned after a long break. And I'm thinking about Adele, uh, Charlie Harding. And actually, first, let's hear To Be Loved off her album 30. To be loved and loved at the highest count means to lose all the things I can't live without. Let it be known that I will choose to lose. It's a And, and Charlie, I know you had some thoughts on that album. Tell me what you think. I feel like this is an album that only someone like Adele can drop. It is a sort of classical pop record. You have wandering harmonies, these long, elongated melodies, and a time when a lot of pop music is about single note melodies, something really simple, something that works on TikTok. And she's going to roll out an album in a way that you can only do when you have the stature of Adele. She's going to take over the Griffith Observatory and do a private concert for the most famous people on earth in a live concert that you can watch on streamers. And she can roll out an album like this in a way that, you know, a lot of other people have to slowly build their story up over social media, but she can claim a moment and she does it because she earns it with her voice. I love that on that moment, uh, let it be known where we hear that, that moment in her voice where she has such control, but there's a little bit of crack in the voice. You can see the command of the music, but also the vulnerability that she's that she's showing. And I think that's why we all love Adele. Yeah, I mean, and also it was in reaction to her divorce or reflecting on it too, which probably gives it that emotional quality. Um, and I know, Sid, that you've talked about how how 
a little time away can really give people the space to think, to really reflect and a little more capacity to come out with something vulnerable? Yeah, I I love what you said, Charlie, about Adele's voice having so much control and clarity, but also that little crack that that shows she's being vulnerable and honest. And to me, that's the through line between Adele's album and Jasmine's album, because Adele was also high on my list of number ones for this year. And it's that time, that professional hiatus to process the things you're going through, whether it be a divorce or in Jasmine's case, she found out while she was uh her six years in between her last album that her mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. So that became a huge part of her life and her mission. And I think that hiatus can allow space for clarity, especially in the aftermath and it, putting so much interest into perspective and allowing that self-work to, to show. We're recapping the albums and songs of 2021, and you, our listeners, are invited to share yours, 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786 is the number. You can share them on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. What was your favorite song or album of this past year or your favorite musical moment or live show? Because we actually did get out there a little bit this year. So, so do let us know. Uh, Susie Exposito, you know, one of the things that uh, was really clear in 2021 was so-called international music continues to take over in popularity, Afro-pop, reggaeton. And I remember that you wrote this piece about how reggaeton found a new groove this year. And I'm wondering what stood out to you. I mean, I said in my article that, I mean, the, the headline of my article was, um, you know, with, with EDM, reggaeton finds a new groove. But actually, I, I think it's an old groove that a lot of reggaetoneros are getting in touch with. And it's it's a lot of the um, electronic dance music that we grew up with. Mm. Um, my my pick for the year was, I mean, for, for album of the year was Rao Alejandro's Vice Versa. Because I think that he went back and he went back to not only the dance music that he enjoyed, you know, thinking about like Dead Mouse and Skrillex, but also the dance music that his his parents enjoyed. You know, he went back to disco in his <laughs> hit Todo de Ti. Like he went, he, he went like trawling through his dad's record collection. That was my favorite part when I spoke to him uh, earlier this year about writing vice versa. And he was thinking like, I, I want people to dance. And so I went back and thought of everything that that has ever gotten people moving in, in my world. Yeah. Um, and so he plays with like drum and bass. He, you know, turns a trap song into like an old school bolero. And I think that that is so indicative of where our generation is at. I think about you know, music in, in the 90s or the 2000s and how wrapped up in authenticity everyone was where it was like, okay, you have to, if you want to be the most authentic artist, you have to stick to this particular um, art form. You have to stick to this way of doing things. And I feel like, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, um, I feel like, you know, millennials, Gen Z, we just like want to throw whatever sticks at the wall and see what comes out. And I think that so many artists in the Latin space have successfully done that. 
Um, I, I think of Farruko's Pepas, which was this enormous hit. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I swear if we listen to 30 seconds of that song and you hear the horns, you'll immediately know. It's been just everywhere. <laughs> or if you land in Miami, you will hear that at the airport because that's that was one of the few trips I took this year. And it was like, OK, this is the sound of Miami this year. Got it. It truly is the sound of Miami and and both Raul Alejandro and Farruko, like they're both Puerto Rican, but they have mastered this this art of creating a um, like a pan Latin sound that's also accessible to so many different people. I mean, just dance music is international music. And at this point, reggaeton is international music. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody can resist it. You know, you could go to... When I've been to France, I've been to Italy and they were blasting reggaeton. And that's where it's at right now, which is exciting. Yeah. But that's also where it's always been. If you listen to reggaeton mixtapes in the 90s, you'll hear them playing with dance hall. But then you'll also hear them playing with Miami freestyle or something. You know, just what whatever brings out the boogie, you'll hear it in <laughs> reggaeton. And it goes, it, it just moves so seamlessly through. Totally. We're talking with Susie Exposito, Charlie Harding, and Sydney Madden about the year in music. And we're going into the break with Toro de Ti. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All right, we're hearing Essence from Wizkid and Thames, and uh, that's a song that definitely got 
A Second Life in 2021, and we're talking about the music of 2021 with Charlie Harding, co-host and co-author of Switched On Pop Podcast, Susie Exposito, music reporter for the Los Angeles Times, and Sydney Madden, host and reporter at NPR Music. And you, our listeners, are with us joining the conversation at 866-733-6786, posting your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, emailing us, forum at kqed.org. And Sydney Madden, I know that you were struck by the staying power of that song, and, and maybe even just what it reflects about Afropop and its popularity. But talk about why that song stood out to you. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, Mina, this was a song that rarely gets the chance, got the chance to have something that songs really do, which is have that second life, have that resurgence, and have that um, that energy and that hype of discovery really stay around it. So Essence by WizKid featuring Thames is actually from WizKid's 2020 album. Um, uh, I, I forget the name of the album right now, actually. I think it's Made, made in Lagos. Uh, and when it dropped, when the album dropped in 2020, WizKid is obviously a mainstay in the Afropop, Afrobeat world. But he had a lot of bigger collaborations on that album. I'm thinking like Burna Boy and, and Future and bigger names than, mm-hmm. uh, than Thames, who's still up and coming in the Afrobeat, Afropop sphere. But for, for fans of... With kid who you know didn't just jump over this song this was the song that clearly would have been song of the summer in 2020 if we were allowed to have it right so i i think i wrote earlier in the year that the song didn't get the proper justice because it didn't have a, a fair playing field because we were obviously all quarantining or we should have been responsibly uh but the the second comment of the song when people were led outside again in 2021 proved that it wasn't just some flash in the pan it wasn't just some you know fleeting twitter topic or fodder for just the the fans of within this genre uh justin bieber popped on the remix of the song which a lot of people uh which obviously brought in the audience of the song and got it to new levels of airplay. I won't say that it actually uh, bolstered the appeal of the song for Afrobeat fans necessarily, but it definitely played a great role in, in raising WizKids profile on a in more international level and getting more people hip to Thames, who yes. is now enjoying like a breakout, a breakout season in her career and who's, follow-up EP after this Essence uh, essence explosion, it's called If Orange Was a Place, is definitely worth people's ears. Yeah, well-deserved. Well, we've got listeners sharing their favorites. May writes, my favorite album of 2021 is Blue Heron Sweet by Sarah Jarose. It's beautiful. The genre would best be described as folk or Americana. To me, the songs tied together nature and facing the possibility of losing a loved one with hope in a remarkable, touching fashion. I like the whole album, but Morning and Blue Heron are my favorites. And Cody writes on Instagram, Nobody by Nas featuring Lauren Hill. That was a meteoric song for me this year. Also, Terrace Martin's drone is dang good start to finish. Let me go to caller Celeste and Hercules. Thanks, Celeste. What do you want to share? Hi. Hi there. Um, my favorite album of 2021 was uh, Coldplay's Music of the Spheres. Um, ah. I just really, really enjoyed this one um, because of their second release uh, teaser um, before they released the album was um, Color Color Atra, 
their longest song that they've ever made, about 10 minutes long. It doesn't feel that long at all. And it just really spoke to me during this hopeless time. Um, I love the entire album, but Coloratra specifically spoke to me and just their whole album in general talks yeah. about humankind, what we're, what we're uh, capable as humans to just love one another. Well, Celeste, thanks. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, I want to talk a little bit now about a song that definitely hit a lot of people, not just as music, but also a moment. I'm thinking about Lil Nas X's Call Me By Your Name. And Charlie Harding, of course, that is one way you described this song. Can you talk about what you meant by that? Well, the song Montero, parentheses, Call Me By Your Name, Montero is Lil Nas X's <laughs> right, real name, right. was, a, was one of the fastest moving cultural phenomena I think we've ever seen where he brilliantly takes this song speaking very publicly about being queer puts it with a music video where he's dancing with the devil and he simultaneously elicits the strongest response possible from both progressives and far religious right and it seems like in within like 48 hours every take on this song has possibly been had it took me weeks to come around to think about what 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 do we have to add what kind of what do I have to add to this song it's it's all right there um but as i was listening really closely to it i noticed in the end of the song there's this fun little guitar lick that kind of sounds like almost like a Middle Eastern oud instrument or something I couldn't quite identify. And so I called up the producers of the song, uh, the group Take a Day Trip, and they said it was actually a banjo. And they're playing this line of this scale, which is very commonly played in uh, Mediterranean music and Middle Eastern music and very frequently used by bad Hollywood composers to provoke ideas of otherness and fear. And so he's using these scales and sounds that are also sort of playing into that idea of creating this controversy. So, he, and one level level deeper is that that sound was a banjo. And what's amazing about that for me is that you know he so badly Lil Nas X wanted to escape the idea of being the black gay guy who makes country music. He wanted to show that he has so much more, uh, and he does. And you see it on that record. So I think him sort of nodding to the banjo there is showing that he can still play on the sort of country tropes but put it in a completely new character well let's hear some of montero call me by your name Susie Exposito, I want to get your thoughts on this song. Um, I, I'm glad that Charlie finally cracked the code for me in, in terms of like the, the ending of that song. I think of it as a flamenco song. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, flamenco is a southern Spanish medley of, of Roma and Middle Eastern North African sounds. Um, but the fact that it's a banjo is just, that's, that's a through line I would never have expected. Um, I, I love, I love that Lil Nas X really came out swinging this year, especially with such a, uh, not, not just like 
this really captivating music, but also the the visual language of Lil Nas X. Yes. Uh, and I think I have I have some very charged thoughts about it, but <laughs> <laughs> I I just think that he he knew going in that if you know that once he would come out, it would be an issue. You know, I think he was already bracing himself for the satanic panic as you know is what happens oftentimes when when popular artists come out of the closet um and he just leaned right into it yeah he was like yeah I'll give you something to panic about and I loved it (laughs) yeah yeah you mean sliding down a stripper pole from heaven into hell uh wasn't gonna go over well with everyone yeah into into Satan's (laughs) lap and doing a lap dance yeah And, and Sid you called him a boundary breaker um and and actually mentioned a couple of boundary breakers both both Lil Nas and also Doja Cat talk a little bit about why you see them that way yeah um before I get into Doja Cat and and their similarities I want to just um call back to something that we were just talking about so first of all shout out to Charlie for doing the research hashtag journalism figuring out (laughs) that it was a banjo at the end that little tongue-in-cheek to saying hey I'm not just the gay country star from the gay black country star I also love that Susie uh uh, thought of it as a flamenco song because that's one of Lil Nas X's like strongest suits to me he knows how to genre jump from hip-hop to pop to R&B to, to flamenco to country and he doesn't worry about having to label it himself he's gonna let all the rest of, of us worry about it and one thing you were talking about early earlier Susie was this generation like millennials gen z really throwing anything at the wall anything that they like and seeing what sticks uh being a total um in, in total contrast to the idea of you know having to be wrapped up in authenticity because when you interrogate that who gets to decide authenticity who gets to inside decide Mm -hmm. all of these testaments and like these rules of engagement because that's when you figure out oh who's deciding it is actually doing it to stifle and to stereotype these Mm -hmm. other people right absolutely and and what I what I think Lil Nas X is doing while he's having so many people, you know, clutching their pearls and chasing around their cutoff heads or whatever, is he spearheading a lot of conversations about homophobia and hip hop that have gone unspoken for so long. Mm-hmm. And that's why I call them a boundary breaker, because it feels like everything that he's doing, whether it be Call Me By Your Name or the uh, the satanic sneakers marketing campaign that got him like <laughs> sued by Nike. And then he used that to promo his next song industry, baby. Like yeah. we're playing checkers. He's playing chess over here. But anyway, no, it, the, the fact that he is, is interrogating all of these things about hip hop and, and what the new generation of hip hop wants to do, you know, it, it's a turning point for hip hop and, and hip hop being considered the most culturally dominant force in the United United States. I think we're at a very uh, pivotal point where the the you know so-called gatekeepers of hip hop have to answer to their own hypocrisies. That's what he's doing. Like that's why I mean, like he's a boundary breaker. And I guess that can flow into the next topic of Doja Cat with her debut album, Planet Her, because she is also another highly skilled, highly stealth genre jumper who the old gatekeepers really don't know what to do with. Like she has a lot of pop sensibilities. She has, she has a lot of um, uh, rap sensibilities. She's 
highly am ambidextrous. She has an amazing charisma, amazing performance value, self-deprecating humor. She is an She's a digital native who basically spent more time in her life on the internet than off of it. So that's why she's doing the same thing as Lil Nas X. Like she's pinpointing that exact sweet spot that is gonna, you know, piss off all her parents and her parents' and friends, but that her key demo is just gonna ride with. Uh, so that's why that album is another standout for me of the year. Well, let me play a little Doja Cat, get into it, yeah. that for a while but i gotta reintroduce everybody we're talking with sydney madden host and reporter at npr music Susie exposito music reporter for the los angeles times charlie harding co-host and co-author of switched on pop podcast and book also a songwriter we're talking about the year in music and you our listeners are sharing your favorite songs or albums from 2021 maybe your favorite musical moments the number 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you could post your thoughts on Instagram as well. And we've got a couple here. A listener writes on Insta, the final parade by the Mighty Mighty Boston's. All right. And then a listener tweets Jasmine Sullivan, who, of course, we talked about. And then another listener writes on Instagram, J.D. Pincus's album, Fungus Way. Wow, a lot of a range of tastes here that we're getting from our listeners. Then Charlie Harding, I'm struck by something you said, which is that in many ways, a lot of 2021 music felt like we were still in 2020. And I'm really curious what you meant by that. Yeah, it's that. There has been this sort of like 80s synth pop retro vibe that has been, I think, you, you can't pinpoint it to any exact moment. I mean, the band Churches has been doing it for nearly mm -hmm. a decade. Taylor Swift has capitalized on it. But when you think about the last two years, The weekend's Blinding Lights, a lot of work that Doja Cat has put out, uh, and in particular, the album future nostalgia these records just a keep on playing that some of the biggest records this year were records from 2020 and i think a lot of that has to do with yes we still love riding a wave of 80s sound nostalgia but we're living in a moment where music has been much less socialized than it usually is mm. some of us were lucky enough to get out to some concerts this summer my gosh how wonderful but in general, people have been you know, relatively uh, stuck in their, their place. And I think that music has been as well, because I think that generally things move fastest when we are socializing with each other. Certainly, things have been moving on TikTok. And we've seen whole new kinds of genres mm -hmm. and interests and things pop up there. But at the same time, if you look at the, the, the songs that are sort of riding the top of the charts, they tend to be things that have been out for a minute and riding this retro vibe. Well, um... So did you want to jump in really quick? 
I thought I heard you there. No, no, I was just, I was just agreeing. I was just following ah, this Yeah, Sorry. yeah. So we heard some top picks from NPR. That would be Lil Nas X's Montero and also top album from Jasmine Sullivan. But uh, I want to ask about an LA Times pick for top songs of 2021. And Susie Exposito, I was struck by the choice of Turnstile and their song Holiday. Talk about what made this song stand out for you. I, you know, it's, it's funny because I grew up on punk. Um, that is, you know, I, I primarily write about Latin music these days, but I really did grow up on punk. And I just love how just going back to our conversation about authenticity, who, like what other community draws such a hard line around authenticity than, you know, the punk and hardcore communities, yes. which is why I, I just adore Turnstile. I, I love what they did on their uh, album Glow On because they really know how to troll. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think that they're trolling either. I don't think they do it on purpose. I think they're genuinely a bunch of weird guys <laughs> with weird taste in music. And so you hear it throughout Glow On, you hear them playing with you know, like prog rock um, with a lot of 80s synths. You hear them play with bossa nova, like as as they do in, in Holiday. You know, they're just like plinking around with these little like 808 sounds. And then suddenly you just comes in this like avalanche of like, <laughs> of guitar. Um, I, I just love the, the contrast and they know how to play up uh, contrasting sounds in their work. It really, um, they, they know how to play up the drama, but I, I think they're just genuinely a really strange band. And <laughs> Let's hear a little of what you're describing there. Here we are. This is Holiday from Turnstile. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Fish out of water and a cat in a tree. You don't even move. 
welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the best music in 2021. That's a little bit of Robert Plant and Alison Krauss and Can't Let Go. And Charlie Harding, I know you interviewed both Plant and Krauss and thought their joint album was a big one this year. So what felt special about it? Well, it's fun to see them come back. You know, this is one of the most bizarre collaborations in popular music that has been a mega success, right? (laughs) They had their 2007 record, Raising Sand, won album of the year at the Grammys. And you've got Robert Plant coming from, of course, the world of Led Zeppelin and hard rock. And then you've got Alison Krauss, who is a... You know, a, a, an unbelievable bluegrass musician. I love both of them independently, and who knew that they could come together? Uh, Robert Plant is not particularly known for harmonizing with other people, but somehow their voices uniquely blend. They've got this new record. They went from Raising Roof to now, um, or ra- Raising Sand to now Raise the Roof, and um, it's a, it's a, they do something unusual. They create this very melancholic sort of Americana of covers with a really broad range of artists from groups like Calexico to the Everly Brothers, Betty Harris, Merle Haggard. And there's something really joyful in the way that they cover songs that tend to be about heartbreak. There's this sort of contrast where the relationship between the two of them is really beautiful. And in speaking with them, I got to learn about how it really truly is a completely spontaneous kind of collaboration. If you if you try to ask Robert Plant detailed questions about his method, he'll just brush you off and be like, no, 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 we go in the studio, <laughs> we make the song, we do it as it is, we try to honor the song, and that's that. And uh, and he was he was kind of prickly, and but a really really fun conversation watching um uh watching them laugh at each other and uh, and really create just I think a their own kind of Americana that I really enjoy. Nice. Charlie Harding is co-host and co-author of Switched on Pop, a podcast and book, also a songwriter. Susie Exposito is also with us, music reporter for the Los Angeles Times. And of course, Sydney Madden, host and reporter at NPR Music. You, our listeners, are also sharing your favorite songs or albums from 2021. And uh, we've got Cleo on the line. As as always, you can call us 866-733-6786 to share yours. Cleo in San Francisco, what's your pick? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Go right ahead. My song of the year is Thumbs by Lucy Dacus, um, which was released this year, but written previously. I was really lucky to see Thumbs close uh, the show at August Hall back in 2019. And Lucy introduced, Lucy Dacus introduced this song with, if you're feeling good, you might want to leave before I play this next song because it is that devastatingly beautiful. Um, So to have Thumbs come out to tease her new album this year was really exciting and felt like a little bit of an important moment for the, at least the indie music scene. Hmm. Um, and I was really lucky to see her perform it twice this year. So then when it was re-released as Thumbs Again, I felt like you could hear the evolution of taking the song on tour. And it turned from this really solo and sad sentimental song about pain to a beautiful and wonderful collaborative song about friendship and resilience, which is what we all needed in 2021. Uh, well, thanks for sharing that, Cleo. And I saw you got some nods from our guests here as well when you mentioned that piece. Uh, Judd writes, my favorite album of 2021 is Floating Points, Promises by legendary former Bay Area-based musician Pharaoh Sanders with the London Symphony Orchestra and young British musician Sam Shepard. A beautiful, evocative album from Sanders, who is 84. He was a core player with John Coltrane. I love this album, produced on David Byrne's 
Luaka Pop label. I should probably know how to say that better. But anyway, <laughs> thanks, Jed. I, I, I like that piece as well. So thanks for, for sharing that. And let me go to caller Scott next in Martinez. Hey, Scott, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Go right ahead. Yeah, hey, just uh, real uh, quickly, just wanted to shout out a couple of uh, rap uh, collectives. Uh, Bruiser Brigade uh, with some members, Bruiser Wolf and Z Loopers, and uh, also the Discord with uh, just a really great rapper, uh, Rap Ferreira, who used to be Milo, who uh, put out some really great stuff over the last like half uh, decade, and Pink Navel and Eldon and SB The Moor, and um, all these guys are just creating like really – uh, thoughtful, introspective uh, rap, which is just a, a really great alternative to like so much of the corporate hip hop out there. And I'm mm -hmm. and I bring up these collectives uh, to to say this, which is I wouldn't know any about any of this music uh, if it wasn't for my uh, kids who are in their early twenties. Um, I was a music journalist, had the good fortune of having thousands of CDs, so I could turn them on to stuff, and then they turned right around and did it to me, and we. Uh, just share music all the time, go to shows uh, all the time. And, uh, you know, I would just really encourage all the parents out there to, to share music with your kids and vice versa. Yeah, well, it sounds like there's a lot of that going on. I mean, when Susie was talking about Rau earlier and stuff like that, I'm really curious, um, guests, to get your thoughts on, like, if you felt like there was a dominant mood in 2021 and the music that either really spoke to that or helped be the, I don't want to say escape, but maybe be the break that we needed. Sid Madden, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think I spoke about this a bit earlier, but giving yourself time to process um, was really beneficial for two of the big albums that we talked about earlier in the program, uh, Adele's 30 and Jasmine Sullivan's Hotels. And I also think we're in a time of <laughs> uh, immense uncomfortability and that is proving to to give way to a generational and cultural shift uh, going back to to hip-hop for a little bit I like some of the the collectives that that last listener just shouted out and I I want to draw attention again to people like Doja Cat and Lil Nas X and how they are they are uh, divesting from everything we were told is supposed to be hip hop in a lot of ways. And they're putting out the most innovative, disruptive stuff, especially compared to people who have been, you know, uh, considered the titans of hip hop at this point. I'm thinking about Drake or Kanye or, or J. Cole or Young Thug, all of whom have dropped albums this year. And that's not to say their albums weren't good, but it, it just wasn't speaking to the immediacy of the moment in the same mm -hmm. way that these younger acts were. Um, yeah. I think that's a big line of the year. Interesting. What do you think, Charlie? I mean, there's definitely also been a great need for escapism, right? Like, as we need to absolutely dive into introspection and reflection, and then uh, just feeling so overwhelmed. There's times we need to just look back and find a good moment. And so, for me, that would be represented by a record like Silk Sonic, the collaboration between Bruno Mars and Anderson Pock, where you have this extremely throwback '70s sound introduced by. P-Funk's Bootsy Collins. It's a lot of shtick, 
but it's really great grooves. It's fun lyrics, and you get this old school vibe with a very contemporary flow from Anderson Pock. And it, I think it's a it's a great way if you need to just put something on, close your eyes, or if you're rolling down the the road with the windows down, like that's that's the record to put on to escape. Well, let's get Laura from Morro Bay in here. Hi, Laura. Good morning, Mina. How are you today? I'm well. I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> well, I'm an old timer. I'm somewhere between the end of the baby boom and the beginning of the Gen Xers. And the best song that I think came out in 2021, which represents what we're going through with the pandemic, by a young lady of the name of Olivia Rodrigo. I think she's 17 years of age. Brutal is the name of the tune. Well, thank you for sharing that. Olivia Rodrigo definitely came up for our guests in terms of an artist that really hit 2021 well. And Susie Exposito, wanted to get your reaction to Laura. And if you also wanted to add anything that you were thinking about, sort of the 2021 mood and the artist and music that spoke to it. I think that, you know, the, the first thought I had was just like, breaking out, <laughs> you know, just like wanting to bust out of whatever funk we're in right now. People are dying for a release. People, people are dying. I'm sorry. I'm not very elegant. Um, and I think that amid all of the grief that we're experiencing, having to be so much more in touch with the, like, not, not just like what we're going through as a collective, but how we're internally processing it. I see, you know, the last couple of years is like an opportunity for a lot of artists to go and think about who do I want to be? What kind of person do I want to be once we're, once we're finally able to bust out and actually live our lives a little bit closer to normal um, with Olivia Rodrigo, I feel like she's manifested the like, you know, pop rock star that she's always wanted to be. The fact is, is that, you know, she's, she's been on high school musical. Like she has had this very like kind of bubblegum trajectory, but with sour, she finally got to bust out and live her like pop punk dreams. Um, and I see that for another artist who I selected as one of my top picks, Halsey. I think, mm. I think that we've seen in, in the last couple of years, we've seen this evolution of something called like dark pop, which I really enjoy. I mean, I, I feel like we got it with Billie Eilish with her first album. We got it with um, there's there's a TikTok star turned, uh, you know, uh, hit artist Nessa Barrett. You know, she wrote a song called I Hope You're Miserable Until You're Dead. And that's a pop song. But it's also, it's incredibly dark. And I, I think Halsey is one of the leading voices of this genre. You know, she teamed up with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, you know, two guys from Nine Inch Nails, who would have thought, to produce this really like, powerful dark pop masterpiece that mixes like industrial and trip hop sounds with the sounds that we're, we're most familiar with when it comes to Halsey to like this um, pop vocal. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed that Halsey, you know, came out with uh, a song like I'm not a woman, I'm a God for one Halsey has to remind us. Yeah. By the way, guys, I'm non-binary. <laughs> this is how I'm going to 
say it to you, but also Halsey navigating her pregnancy and like the, the body horror that that entails. Mm -hmm. Um, and doing it in a, in a format that really, it takes me back to like, you know, the, it takes me back to like Tori Amos making really disturbing and intimate, uh, piano pop music. Um, it takes me back to like Alanis Morissette, which I, I think, you know, Olivia Rodrigo Sour also did a similar thing. This really gritty confessional pop rock music. And I think a lot of young artists are really leaning into that. We're talking with Susie Exposito of the LA Times, Sydney Madden of NPR Music and Charlie Harding of Switched On Pop. And you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the year in music and we're getting lots of calls and comments coming in. One listener wrote on Instagram that their pick this year is the song Human by Lola Rice. This was before the show today. And so we were able to pull a little bit of this song. Um, Lola Rice is a student at UCLA and uh, self-produced her debut single. So let's listen to a bit of it. It's called Human. When you told me I'm not special, you probably And when I find my pride is injured, why can't I just let it die? So thank you, listener, for that, uh, who shared that, a a follower on Insta. You know, we have a few minutes left, but one of the things that I did want to give a shout out, and actually you all did a little bit earlier with Charlie Harding finding out about the banjo, is a shout out to music journalism and music documentaries, like HBO's on Tina Turner and the the Britney doc. And uh, Cindy Madden, I know you talked a little bit about how journalism and documentaries kind of looked back on, on artists. Can you give us a sense of of what stood out to you or what you took away from those sort of ruminations, those reflections. That was another big uh, through line of the coverage of this year to me. Uh, And I, speaking of music journalism, shout out music journalists, Lindsay Zolads wrote a really good piece about this for, I think it was the New York Times, but there has been a, um, a pattern of looking back on our recent history and in coverage and media complicity in perpetuating harm, uh, mm-hmm. specifically to young women producers. And I'm thinking about the exposure of the Free Britney movement earlier this year when when fans were trying to signal boost and help get her out of her conservatorship. The HBO documentary Tina, which is what Tina Turner and uh, which Tina Turner produced herself kind of pinpointed that harm of re-traumatizing someone by asking them to relive their abuse so casually. And even upcoming uh, upcoming pieces of journalism that are commissioned by the artists themselves, whether it be like Janet Jackson or or the, the New York Times documentary, uh, I believe it's called, I forget the name, Malfunction, uh, about the infamous Super Bowl moment, the wardrobe malfunction that completely... Oh, right change the trajectory of Janet's career you know, left Justin Timberlake mostly unscathed for that time. And I think the the commonality between all of it is uh, is calling out misogyny, uh, but not doing it. But it's more about 
not doing it in retrospect, doing it in real time. And I think that's been the call to arms this year. So we're approaching the end. And of course, when we look back at a year in music, we also think about the artists that we lost just the, this year. And I, I wanted to give all three of you just a chance to name one whose death hit you pretty hard. And, and Charlie, I'll start with you. I'm going to have to pass at this moment because it's kind of just too overwhelming to be real. No worries. No worries. Susie Exposito, do you have one in mind? I know we lost DMX, Biz Marquis, so many really powerful artists. Yeah, a huge one was uh, Vicente Fernandez. Like, oh my God, it, yeah. It was so uh, powerfully felt here in, in Los Angeles and I'm sure up, up in Northern California as well. Like, um, it, it's so funny because the thing is, is like, I'm Caribbean. I didn't, I, I'm not even Mexican, but even people in my family were talking about it because of how um, incredibly like, uh I, I guess Fernandez was just the kind of artist who, yes, he represented Mexico. He was like the, you know, uh, I guess like mascot of yeah. Mexican culture for a long time. Ranchera a King, movie yeah. Star. Yeah, the Ranchera King. And even my my abuela, like she's from Cuba and she listened to Vicente Fernandez. And like, you know, um, that's how far he resonated um yeah and it was so I, I, recent culturally and Des so recently yeah december 12th wow sid man really quick from you yeah um i would have to agree with charlie it is pretty overwhelming the first one that comes to my mind is someone who died on december 18th that was the la rapper draco mm -hmm. the ruler who was fatally stabbed while he was at a festival performing in la um and it's uncovered a lot of the uh broader injustices that his career and his life uh, well, uh, had. Sid Madden, Susie Exposito, Charlie Harding, thanks for going there with me. Really appreciate hearing all of your thoughts. And I think we'll end on one of the listeners' favorites, Farrah Sanders, and we'll hear Farrah Sanders and Floating Points Movement 6. You've been listening to the Year in Music Wrap-Up on Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Mm -hmm. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? 
or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.